Good morning, or should I say Happy Labor Day? Yeah, do you wish people like Happy Labor Day? I mean, like what is, you know, is that like, they think, you know, maybe for someone who's pregnant, hey, Happy Labor Day, right? I mean, it's like, what is Labor Day about? Is that when most women have their pregnancies on Labor Day? I'd be, I was thinking about it, it'd be pretty cool if you had your, uh, if you were born on Labor Day, you know? But uh, the funny thing I think about Labor Day is, it's called Labor Day, but we don't have to work, right? That's like, that's, what's, what's up with that? This whole thing about Labor Day has got me thinking, because I'm like, what's its origin, all sorts of stuff like that. But did you know that Labor Day generally marks the beginning of the football season? The college football season started last week, and this week, next week, is the NFL season begins, right? Go Miami Dolphins, next Monday night, you guys excited? New England? People don't care about football in this place, I see. Listen, here's something for you ladies. You know that Labor Day is the last day of the summer that it's considered fashionable to wear white. Did you know that? So I see a few of you wearing white. This is your last day. Or you can be of this mind. Hey, we live in Miami and we make up the rules. So you can wear white if you want. So it's up to you. Some of you are there. Yeah, I like that. But uh, have you ever thought about Labor Day? Like, why do we celebrate a holiday called Labor Day? You know, is it about labor or is all this confusing stuff? Well, I, I was curious, so I actually looked it up. And uh, Labor Day became a federal holiday in 1894. You see, it was primarily the result of a railroad union strike that happened in Pullman, Illinois, which was part of Chicago. And, of course, you know, as it is with unions, they're striking against the railroad company and they're refusing to move trains and operate stuff. And they gathered there with some 6,000 people that were gathered there. And it was peaceable at first, but you know how tensions are high and we hear all these animosities that go back and forth. Well, it started to get a little out of hand. And it went on for four long days. And so President Cleveland at the time decided, listen, this is holding up the, and obstructing the delivery of the U.S. mail. So he sent U.S. marshals and 12,000 of the U.S. Army troops there to disperse the people. Well, it got a little bit violent, a little bit ugly. The workers, the, the strikers actually did over $340,000 worth of damage. And I guess in our terms today, that would be $8.8 million. That's how bad it got. But also, 13 strikers were killed, and another 57 were injured. And of course, this was a big issue now, because imagine that happening on, on a strike, that people were killed. And so now, the unions were upset with the government, and all this stuff was going on. So, uh, you know, President Cleveland and the Congress decided, we're going to try to appease the unions by declaring this, a national holiday, and that's why we have uh, the Labor Day holiday. It's uh, basically for them. And Labor Day was actually celebrated in other countries where they would use it as an opportunity to have like rallies and speakers and parades to celebrate their unions. And so basically that's what it was, and today we don't really see any of that anymore. We just hang around and barbecue and do nothing. We don't organize or anything like that. But that's where it came from. So you're like, all right, thanks. I don't know if that was really worth the time so that we could hear all that, right? But I was thinking about it after I read the story, and I was thinking, you know, I wonder if the people that, who died who, at the strike that morning would know that their lives would change U.S. history. Right? I mean, I, they probably not. I mean, you don't get up thinking those things, do you? I'm sure they didn't plan it when they got out of bed. You know, honey, hey, what are you doing today? Well, I'm going to go uh, mar- get martyred today. You know, we don't say those things. We don't, like, think those things. You know, we don't get up in the morning just, like, dying to change the world. Little, that was a joke, dying. To ch- okay, forget it. You know, they, we don't get up and say, listen, I, I'm going to go give my life for a cause. We don't think that way. I mean, unless you're, you're insane, then you might. And I'm wondering if they knew they were going to die, would they really show up? Would they have showed up? Or were they wondering if it was worth it? When I was looking through it, I never saw any of their names. Like, history doesn't record these guys. They're anonymous, and yet they changed our U.S. history. You know? So some people's lives, as we look here and we see, they change history. They change things. They, make, they have big events that change history. And some people, it's by accident. But the truth is, it's not usually like this. But most people that have an impact in this world are people who purpose to do something. They actually have a plan and a mission that drives them to do amazing things. I mean, we think about like Abraham Lincoln, right? He had a mission. He had a desire to free uh, the black people of America. He also, uh, you look at Martin Luther King and what he was able to do. 
Because he had a mission. And so he was able to do amazing things. But that's not really what I think we, as in general, are taught to, uh, about. That's not what we're to strive for. The majority of people go about just living life. You know, we do the day-to-day, we're stuck in a rut, and we accepted what the world has told us is what our purpose in life. I mean, kind of maybe it went like this. You were in high school, right? And, you know, they're preparing to exit, and then you go down to the guidance counselor, and they give you a test, and you fill out the test. And then they come back with the results and they said, you know what, you would make a good person to join the army. Or you would do like a good bean counter. You should be an accountant. Or maybe you should be a teacher. And so we've accepted that. And they say, listen, if you do those things, this is fulfilling your purpose, your gifts, your talents. This is what you're capable of doing. And they say, this is what's going to make you happy. But I think that God has created us for something much greater and so much more. You see, I think all each of us long to do something great, to be a part of something that's a little bit bigger than ourselves. And what I'm suggesting to you doesn't mean that you won't be a teacher or join the army or an accountant. But what I'm trying to say, it means that we would be on track with God's personal mission for each one of us. You see, you might not change world history, but you may change someone else's history. Because of the effect that you've had on them. Because of the, God, the mission that God has. And I believe that God has created you to make a difference. And I think the Apostle Paul believes that too. If you have your Bibles right now, turn to Romans chapter 15. So you can get ahead. But we're in this series called Inside Out that we've been talking about for the last certain number of weeks. And it's about personal transformation. And I think that transformation culminates in ours having an impact in this world. You see, the ultimate purpose for our trans. Uh, for, our, uh, for our transformation, is that we would have an impact. You know, we're about to find out that Paul knew exactly what his mission was and what he was supposed to do. And this is his mission. Listen, we're going to pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 15. It says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given me, to me by God, that I might be, it's his key, a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Stop there. In your outline, go ahead and pull it out. This is your first fill-in. Every Christian has a mission to fulfill. Every Christian has a mission to fulfill. You see, Paul is finishing up this letter that we've been studying to this group of people that he's actually never met. Next week, Pastor Bob is going to talk about that. Yeah, he knows a couple of those people that have traveled there, but for the most part, they've never even seen him. They only know of him. They've heard of him. That's it. And at this point, he has never even been to Rome. And Paul has this goal to come see them. You see, he says, look, I'm writing this stuff to you. I'm asking you to change your life. I'm asking you to do these things. I'm sending a letter. You don't even know me. I want to come and see you at one point. I want to come so that you know it's real and all of this. But he says, listen, I can't come and see you right now because I have a mission. And what was Paul, Paul's mission? Well, it said right there, Paul was felt called to reach the Gentile people, the Gentiles. You know, if you're not sure what a Gentile is, Gentile simply meant non-Jew. If you were Jewish, you weren't a Gentile. And if you were a Gentile, you weren't a Jew. That was simply it. So anybody else, if you're not Jewish, you were a Gentile. And so Paul was called to do that, but he didn't discover that right away. You see, Paul had a heart to reach his own people, to reach the people of Israel. And so anytime he would travel, the very first thing he did was speak to the Jewish people. He would go to a city and he would find the synagogue. And there they would be teaching. He'd stand up and he would start preaching in there. And then after they would heard, some people might be converted to Christianity or decided to follow Christ, but then eventually he would probably get kicked out. So then he would go and just start preaching to anybody who would listen. Anybody. All these Gentile people would come. And he realized and he started to see that he had this amazing effect on Gentile people. And throngs of Gentiles were coming to know the Lord. And so eventually he's like, man, this is, this is pretty amazing. God's doing something through me. I think he wants me to reach the Gentile people. The non-Jewish people. He goes back to Rome, uh, to Jerusalem, excuse me, at one point, and he meets up with the original apostles like Paul and John and Peter and James, and he starts telling them what's going on, and they agree with him. Listen to what it says in the book of Galatians. It was soon evident that God had entrusted me with the same message to the non-Jews as Peter had been preaching to the Jews. Recognizing that my calling had been given by God, James, Peter, and John, the pillars of the church, sh- church shook hands with me and Barnabas, 
assigning us to a ministry to the non-Jews while they continue to be responsible for reaching out to the Jews. I think the first thing that we need to realize, like Paul, is that each of us has a mission or a calling to fulfill. Paul realized his. You see, we're very limited in our vision though, aren't we? I mean, if you're like me, I go about the day and the only thing I feel like I go through the life with blinders on. And I'm like a pastor. You know, I read my Bible and I study, I do all these things, but somehow I feel like I go through the world like this because what's right in front of me? My life. That's all I see most of the time and that's what I worry about, that's what I think about, that's what I am concerned about. And I think that God gives us a a, a verse in the Bible because he wants to take our focus off of this a little bit more and to look a little bit different. Listen, this is what it says. uh, This is what he tells us to encourage us. It says this. He said to to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For all of these things, the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. God is saying here, he says, listen, if you can remove these a little bit, and you start to focus on other things, you start to focus on my kingdom instead of your kingdom, I'm going to make sure I take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you have everything you need. Now, I think that this verse can be, for some of us, very challenging. Why? Because if we're building our own kingdom, then we're wondering... Was God going to provide for me the way I want to be provided for, right? So we're like thinking, I don't know if I should trust you. However, if we're building a godly kingdom, our focus is not simply here, but it's on God and it's on building His kingdom, then these are actually very encouraging words to you and I. Because we're like, you know what? I know I'm worried about these things in my life, but God says He's going to take care of them and I can just go ahead and pursue the mission that God has for me. You see, he's trying to turn our focus somewhere else as we read this verse and saying, okay, let go and focus on something else. Now, I don't know, you know a lot of you guys know my wife, Carolina. Um, she's at the 10-minute party all the time. Uh, and she is Colombian. I don't know if you knew that. And so the thing is, when I married Carolina, it was interesting because I didn't know that many Colombians or I didn't think I did. And all of a sudden, I started seeing Colombians like everywhere. You, not just her family, but you know like when you buy a car, you, you get a car, right? And you, a brand new car, you start driving and all of a sudden you see them all, the, all over the place. You're like, hey, I didn't know, I had, this car was so popular. And now you see it because you have it. And so now I see all these Colombians. And uh, I had, the, Pastor Mark and I were having this debate. I'm saying there's so many Colombians that come to our church. I think that there's a lot. You know, I think the Cubans are up here, but you know, there's a lot of Colombians. And he's like, no, 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 there's much more Cubans, you know, because he's Cuban. So I wanted to take a poll with you guys today, first off, how many Colombians are here in this church, attend this church? Okay, it's a good amount. How many uh, Cubans are here? Okay, all right. <laughs> Pastor Mark wins. <laughs> but I mean, what happens when you meet somebody? Especially if you're in Miami, they have a Spanish accent. That's one of the questions we ask, like, where are you from, right? Where are you from? And I've noticed, too, when you're in South Florida, it's really hard to find a native Floridian, isn't it? It is. Let's, let's take a poll on that. How many native Floridians are here? You see, the Cubans, you way outnumber them. You see that? Did you see that? Listen, it's hard to find a native Floridian. And listen, among Christians, it should be hard to find a native of this world. What? What are you saying, John? Listen, we should all be foreigners. Because this world is not our home. You see, in the book of Hebrews, there's this list of guys that are there. And they did all these amazing, incredible acts. And they're noted as these guys of incredible faith. Because they had a different outlook on life than you and I do. Here's what it says about them in the book of Hebrews. It's in your outline. It says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all for from a distance, and welcomed it. This is in bold. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. These guys considered themselves foreigners and nomads in this world. They're like, this isn't our home. This isn't our place. 
they believed that they were just like actually passing through the world. That's what their life was, was just passing through because there was a better place for them. They had a true homeland, a true realm, a heavenly place that they were going. They had a focus on a godly kingdom. You know, and I believe that if we had this mindset, that our mission and our calling would be so much clearer to each of us. So we must begin right here. This is where we have to begin. We have to begin understanding and believing that we're foreigners here on this earth. That we're not natural natives here. That we're just passing through. Because God has called each one of us to something bigger, something greater. And while we're here, each of us has a mission to fulfill. We're not here just to exist. We have something greater than that to do. Paul understood that. He understood his calling. And he pursued it. He said, hey, I'm called to, call, to go after the Gentiles. But not only that, he actually had a plan on how to accomplish it. That's what it tells us in the next verses. Look in verse 17. It says this. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now this is important. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul is telling us that he's has, he has a plan on how he's going to accomplish his mission. Listen, in your outline... Fill in this. Define what God has called you to do. Paul defined how he was going to reach the Gentiles. And that's what we should do. Define what God has called you to do. You see, Paul's mission was to reach them. But he was determined to go, it says, to a place where Jesus had never been named before. You see, Paul said, listen, if Jesus is in this place, I'm not going to go there. I'm going somewhere else. That's what, why he left Jerusalem. You see, most of the Jewish people, and it's part of the reason for his calling, most of the Jewish people heard about Jesus Christ. They knew who he was, so who was left anyway would probably be the Gentiles. He would go to different places, and he would find a place where no one knew who Jesus was. He would go to that city, he would plant a church, he would be there for about three years, and after the church had been established, then he would appoint elders, and then he would say, you know what, everybody in this city pretty much has heard of Jesus, time for me to move on. And he would go to the next city and he would do the same thing and he would continue to plant uh, churches. That was his goal. Preach where no one was going. You see, this verse sounds to me, uh, here in verse 21, sounds like it was his life goal. It was his life verse. And Isaiah is the quote where he takes it from. And that's what they were saying about Jesus Christ. I put it in your outline again. It says, And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence for they will see what they had not been told, and they will understand what they had not heard about. Paul was driven by this verse to go to the places that no one had heard about Jesus because he was going to preach to kings. You know, as I said earlier, it's so easy to go through life and just let it happen. You know, some people are natural planners, aren't they? And they have a vision for what they want to accomplish. And I think we recognize in life that things just don't fall into our laps. Not many great things happen if we just let life take its own course. You know, business entrepreneurs got that way because they took a risk. That's how they got their business. You know, most people in these bigger careers or even in your own career, you went through schooling and training and years of college so that you could finally achieve your mission, achieve your goal. And we understand that to be true about life. That if we want to accomplish something, that it takes thought and it takes planning. And it's the same for discovering and accomplishing God's missions for you and I. In order to discover God's mission, you have to think about it. You have to plan it. We need to narrow our focus and decide what is it that God wants us to accomplish. You know, we have to have clear goals. You see, I did a message quite a while ago, and I said the purpose in your life was to share Jesus. That's our purpose. Wherever we go, whatever we do, yes, that's what your purpose is. But you also have a mission. Who and among what people and where do you go and how is it done? You see, when you discover that, you will find fulfillment. And you will understand what God wants you to do when you're operating in that mission. Listen, it starts by understanding two things you can write down, your gifts and your passion. 
I didn't put in your outline so you can write that down. Your gifts and your passions. God has gifted each of us in different ways. You see, some of us have, been, have natural gifts, either something physical or something mental that we're able to do that others aren't really able to accomplish or we're way, we excel in that. But there's also spiritual gifts that God has given you and that might be like a gift of mercy or a gift to preach or a gift of evangelism or a gift of hospitality where God enhances what you do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are called spiritual gifts. But God has also given us worldly gifts and resources that we're able to use. And that might be finances, positions, or power, or connections that we have. And all these gifts that God has given you, He's given to you for a reason, and to fulfill a purpose and a mission in life. That's what it tells us in First Peter. It says this, As each one of us has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's what you want to do. Make a list of those gifts that God has given you. Whether they're your natural gifts that you have, whether it's your spiritual gifts that you have, or even the worldly gifts that God has given you. Start there. Make a list of the greatest ones that you have. It might be a large list. It might be a small list. But that's where you begin. You begin to look at those things so that you can begin to start and plan. Are you a good teacher? Are you a good administrator? Are you good at acting? Are you good at sports? Are you good at the arts? What are the things that God has gifted you with? Have you been given any certain worldly resources that you can put down? You see, if you need some help, maybe you're saying spiritually, you talked about the other two, but I'm not sure about my spiritual gifts. Well, here's what I want to do to help you. You have a connection card that's in your lap that you received. And on the back side, if you look to the right-hand side, you're going to see, send me a gifts test. And that test is a spiritual gift test that I'll email you this week if you sign up for it. And you take that test and it will tell you where, what areas spiritually you excel in so that you'll know that it will help give you to fill out this list so that you can begin to plan. You probably have heard of Tim Tebow, I'm sure. Right? He's a quarterback for the Broncos, Denver Broncos. Ladies, some of you ladies know that, some of you guys. Okay, but like a couple years ago, he was actually a quarterback for the Florida Gators. Right? Now, this was a guy during, when he played for the Gators that on his eye black, it's the stuff under here, he would write scripture verses. I have a picture, see, there you go. And this picture is actually, uh, see, it says John 3.16. This is actually from the 2009 uh, uh, college championship game. Millions of people were watching this. After having seen this, 92 million people Googled John 3.16 on that day or shortly after. This God had gifted this man with the talents that he had so that he would have a platform to reach 92 million people just for writing stuff under his eyes. I mean, if you ever Google it, you see all the different ones that he, he wears. You see, God has given you gifts so that you'll have platforms to reach this world, to be on your mission. You see, sometimes our gifts will give us access that others don't have or influence or even effectiveness that, in areas that others don't. And your gifts will help you to find the what of your mission. Your gifts help you define the what of your mission. You can write that down because your passions will tell you the how of your mission. Your passions will tell you the how. Listen, I've already, when I was younger, I used to think about being a teacher. I thought, yeah, I'd like to invest in other people's lives. I think I could teach and make things clear for people. But here's what I want to teach. I'd like to teach high school or college level. And some of you are thinking, you know, I don't even want to teach at all. And some of you are thinking, I'm a t- I'd like to teach, but you know what? I don't have the patience for those kids in that age. I'd like to do the preschool kids or the uh, nursery kids or the, you know, elementary school. You know, and then I look on you and I say, listen, I don't have the patience for those little kids. You know, sharing, singing little songs, all that. Forget that. You know, because my passion is this age group. Your passion is the other age group. But that's your passion. It's just who you are. This is the way you're made. You still want to preach that or teach that's your gift, right? Still the same gift, but who and how is different. You know, I, I would love to travel to Asia. My wife and I were making a plan to do this trip because I'd love to go there and actually see it. But then, you know, she goes, you want to go to Africa? And I go, you know what? I'm just content to look at the pictures. You know, just show me an elephant or a giraffe. I'm fine with that. You know, I'm sure it's beautiful and nothing against that. But each one of us thinks the same thing. There's one place I'd like to go and another place I don't really care. And that's just an example of our passions. There's some things that will help define our, our, our passion, will help define how we use our gifts. You know, among what age group of people or what type of people or what cultures 
that you were going to go or minister to. Whether it's adults, whether it's children, whether it's youth, whether it's singles, whether it's couples, whatever it is that will help you define it. Again, what I would say to you is make a list of your passions. So you have a list of your gifts and you have a list of your passions. You're starting to plan. You're starting to prepare. And here's something that I call, I want to give you guys, and maybe it'll help you, that will help you understand your passions a little bit better, and I call it the Esther test. The Esther test. And there's a book in the Bible called Esther. And uh, just a, a quick synopsis, Esther was a Jewish woman, and the king needed a wife, and so he ended up picking her, and she becomes the wife. Now she's Jewish. Now the king has, a, has like an assistant guy that kind of tells him things to do. And this guy says to him, hey, I think you should, they don't know she's Jewish, by the way. Hey, I think you should wipe out all the Jewish people in your kingdom because they don't bow down to you and all this other stuff. And he says, all right, that's a good idea. We'll appoint the day and uh, that'll be the day that we wipe out the Jewish people. And so her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, listen, you got to do something. You're the queen. you got to have some influence with the king. So why don't you go and do something and fix this situation and help out? And here's, here's what he says. Here's the words that it says in Esther. Listen to this. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we may have heard that, and we, a lot of times we focus on, yet who knows whether you come for, to the kingdom for such a time as this. But I want to talk about, he says to her, listen, if you don't do it, relief is going to come from someplace else. Right? Because God's will is still going to be accomplished. And it's the same thing for you and I. When God is calling you to do something, or you feel that you should, God, this is what's going to happen. You're, either you're going to do it, or God's going to bring somebody else. And now the Esther test should give you either one of two reactions, in my mind. One of the reactions will be, you know what? Relief. Because, man, I really didn't want to do that. You know, it's like, that wasn't called to do that. I mean, my heart goes out to those people. I really think that that's a good thing. But I'm so glad, God, you're going to send somebody else. And that means you probably weren't called to do it. However, the second reaction is jealousy. What? God, you're calling me to do that? And if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it? No, 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 no. Somebody's not going to do it. That needs to be me. I need to do that. If your reaction is jealousy, can I say to you that maybe that's what God is calling you to do? That's what your passion is. That's the Esther test. Listen, number three, point three in your outline says this. Set priorities in your life. Set priorities in your life. We're going to read in verse 22 now. It says, For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if I first may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those in Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. You see, we see Paul's mission actually kept him from going to Rome. Because we talked about, I said that Paul's mission was to reach the Gentile people. And his heart was for them. But you know what? Paul's not going to live forever. And Paul wants the other people to catch this idea too. And so Paul says, listen, when I went to all these churches and I planted these churches, and by the way, it's like 20 years later. This is multiple cities, three years apiece. The Bible says it was like 20 years later he goes down back to Jerusalem. And at this time, he's collected all this money from the Gentiles because he wants to go to Jerusalem. And he wants to say, listen, these people have been converted. These people are Christians now. And I want you to accept them into the Christian faith. And I'm bringing this offering to show that they believe that too. And they wanted to help you guys out because they know that you're poor. And that you need some help here. And that the church needs something. So I'm going to bring this gift. I can't come to you in Rome right now. But I need to fulfill my mission. So that they accept the Gentiles and that the mission of the Gentiles continues that all people would be able to receive Jesus Christ and accept Him as Christians. So he says, I need to do that. I can't come to you. You see, Paul made priorities in his life and because of the priorities that he made for his mission, it allowed him to do certain things and other things he wouldn't do. You see, 
when Carol and I go to vacation in, in Boston, in, well, New England, every year. Because I have family up there. That's where I grew up. I grew up outside of Boston. And my family's like an hour away from, the, from Logan Airport. But, you know, I could fly into Hartford. It's actually a little closer. But it's in a different direction. But we don't do that. You know why? Because we have this little ritual. Or maybe I have the ritual. We fly into Boston. We rent the car. We go downtown to Quincy Market, to Faneuil Hall. And then we go in among the vendors there. And we get a lobster roll. And we get clam chowder. That's the first thing we do. We don't even eat. We get off the plane. We drive right there. And then we eat that. And so after we've eaten that, then we go over to the north end, which is the Italian section. I'm Italian, hello. And then we go to Mike's Pastry Shop. And then you get in line, and there's all this pastry and stuff, and we get cannolis, and we get biscotti, and we get this other thing. Ironically enough, it's called a lobster tail. And it's like this big pastry that's filled with cream that my aunt likes. And we get a bunch of those, and we pack them in our car, and then we drive to our house. You see, if I go into Hartford, even though it could be cheaper, or maybe even a little more convenient, I can't fulfill my mission. So we don't do it. I think my mission. I've convinced my wife that it's hers too. Listen, setting priorities is what's going to help you accomplish your mission so that you won't get sidetracked. We all live with priorities, right? I mean, we decide to get up in the morning. That's a priority. We decide to eat breakfast before we go. That's a priority. We decide to go to work. We're saying those are our priorities. And even not making choices is a priority. It just means your priority is doing nothing. You know, some of us are that way. Those choices are going to either bring you farther from your mission or they're going to take you closer to your mission. The priorities that you make in life will play a role in defining your mission as well. You see, your mission and calling can change with the season of life. It can. You know, there was a time in America where, you know, our people before us, you know, they would work in a factory or in a business and they would retire there. They'd spend their whole life there, right? It wouldn't change. They'd get the gold watch and that was it. And a lot of us would be, oh, I'd love to have a job that I always knew had that kind of security, right? But times have changed. We don't have that type of security anymore with our jobs. You see, priorities in our calling vary from season to season and circumstance to circumstance. Tim Tebow will not be a football player forever. We're still yet to see how good he's going to be with the Denver Broncos, whether he's going to have any longevity there or not. But one day, whether or not he's there a long time or not, he's going to stop being a football player. And his platform and his gifting then is going to be changed. He's going to have a different mission in life. It's just going to happen. And he's going to have to change his priorities. You know, I was reading about him because I was so interested in this. You know, he's from the Philippines. His parents were missionaries. And that's why he so wants to preach the gospel. And as a teenager, he'd go back to the Philippines and he would work in an orphanage, an orphanage helping underprivileged kids. And that's his desire. He says, I want to help third world uh, underprivileged orphans. That's what my goal is. I imagine when he's done, that's probably what he'll do. Who knows? Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But his mission at that point will change. And our mission over time changes too. For instance, some of you guys have a family right now. Listen, if you have a family, your main mission right now, honestly, is your family. It's your, your spouse or your children. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, and I put this in your outline, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that they shall become one flesh. You become one. That's your, the, there's not much more of a priority there. That is your priority. When you're married, your priority is your spouse. Your family is your priority. I, uh, when I volunteered, before we planted the church here, I was volunteering in another church, and I was kind of like an intern, you know, and they would give me uh, little opportunities to minister. And one time a guy called in. They said, hey, could you, this guy wants some prayer. Could you pray with him? So I got on the phone. I started talking with him. And he was like from Tennessee or Alabama or, well, that's where he was now. And he starts talking to me. He's like, yeah, I'm from Florida and I wanted to call back. And he's like, I'm in this place and I just need some prayer. It's a spiritual battle out here. And God's got me on the, on the mission field right on the front of the lines in the middle of the heat of the battle. And I just need prayer. And I'm like, okay, so, what, so why are you out there? You know, what's going on? And he's like, well, you know, I'm out here and I have a family back in, in Florida. And I said, well, what kind of family? And he's like, well, my mo- wife and kids. And I'm like, dude, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you right now. God does not want you right there where you're at. He wants you to come back to Florida. And he's kind of like, what? And I said, yeah, God wants you to come back to Florida. And I quoted this verse to him. It says this uh, in Timothy. Listen to this. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I said, your priority right now is to come back, take care of your wife, and take care of your kids. And then I said, okay, you know, we talked a little bit more, and they said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And I was kind of like, well, Lord, you know, you know all things, and you know what, 
this person needs. And he's like, hold on, hold on. No, no, I want you to pray like this. Holy Spirit, come down and pray and fill me. And blah, blah, blah. For like two to five minutes, he's just going on. And after that ended, he's like, okay, goodbye, goodbye. I'm thinking, I thought he wanted me to pray for him. You know, it's like... If you have children right now, let me just say to you, they are your main mission in life. If you don't raise your children, the world's going to raise them for you. You see, God has entrusted you with lives, precious lives that you're to take care of. And there's no greater opportunity to transform a life than the one that looks up to you, than the one that's in your very own household. This is the greatest mission that you can have right now if you are a parent. Raising godly children is like an incredible task. You know, my wife and I have been having the discussion about having children. And we're like, how would that work? You know, would we both work? Would, you know, what, what would go on there? And, you know, she's been working like over 10 years in this PR agency. That's where she studied at school. She's gone up. She's now like a media manager and all this other stuff. You know, she's reached the pay level that she likes and she feels success in that. And then she's like, I don't know if that's what I, I know if I'm ready to let go of that. And she has a friend who, funny enough, very similar situation. She's in the PR industry, and her husband's a minister too, and they just had a baby. And so she's on leave right now, and Carol went to go visit her, and she's talking with them, and she's like, well, what's going to happen? She goes, well, I'm not going to go back to work. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to raise my children. And Carol's like, isn't that hard to do? How did you make that decision? And this is what she said to Carol. This is what she said. She says, God is not going to ask you what you did for work when you get to heaven. He's going to ask you, how did you care for your family? And Carol's like, you know, it just all came clear when she said that to me. Listen, you're, maybe you're a wife or your mom out here right now, and you're thinking, you know, does, does that mean I have to quit my job? I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that the goal is to raise godly children. And you do whatever it takes to make that happen, to accomplish that mission. You make that the priority. And you decide if that's what it takes for you. Listen, can I talk to singles for just a minute? This is why it's so important that you marry the right person. You know, we've heard that verse so many times, not to be unequally yoked, saying, hey, don't marry someone who's not a Christian. And can I just give you some advice? If there's one thing in life where you don't want to struggle, it's in this very core of our being, this, where our faith is, what God has called us to do. And yet I see people, they get married, and then there's someone who doesn't believe. And now you want to go to a growth group on, on sometime during the week. And they don't see it as you're growing or something spiritual. What they see it as, just another activity that you're doing. And then you want to do some other event where you want to minister to people on a Saturday morning or you want to go do an extra thing here or there. And they don't see it as you growing. They don't see it as you helping other people. They see it as just another time away from them. And it just drives another wedge between the two of you. And that's why God says that. He says, listen, don't be unequally yoked because you're both not going in the same direction. Amos puts it this way. He says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? God is saying to Israel at that time, listen, can we really walk together when you guys are doing this stuff and I'm going in this direction? Like, come on, come back and let's go in the same direction. And for us, we have to pick the person that's going in the same direction as us. That's why it's so important for us. You know what? It's not just that they're a Christian. You know, in Christians, there's, we have different levels of Christianity, in a sense. Not that we quantify them as Christians, but, but we are at different levels. Some people want to be very involved in ministry. I mean, they want to go to the sky's the limit. They want to go across the world. Or they want to be involved in ministry, like I am involved in ministry. Or they want to be uh, somewhere in the middle, and they volunteer, and they do a lot of things. Or they want to be, do nothing, really. I just want to show up at church. And listen, if you've got somebody you're dating that just wants to show up at church, but you're somebody who wants to go on the other side of the world, once you're married and that becomes the priority in your life, you can say goodbye to the mission that God's called you to. Because they're not going to want to go. And the reason I say that it's so important for you, because I've seen it happen so many times, I've even seen it in our own church, where one person is attending this church and their spouse is attending another, and it gets to the point where they can't attend our church any longer. They can't even attend the church that they want to because they're both not going in the same direction. And I don't say this to you because I want to wag my finger at you and tell you, hey, marry a Christian and marry a person that's going in the same direction. I say this because I don't want that for you. One of the greatest joys in my life is that my wife loves ministry. 
She is so perfect for it. Everything that I like to do, she likes to do. When I say to her, listen, honey, there's something going on and I have to stay an hour later at work, she goes, you know what? Go ahead and do that counseling that you have to do. When I say there's a certain event that's going on, she makes and clears room for it. Sundays for us are a time of ministry and she understands it and works around it and it makes my life a joy and a blessing and I love her for that. And that is exactly what I want for you. If you're single right now, I want to say that to you. Just be considerate of that and really seriously consider marrying the person who's doing the same thing that you are, going in the same direction as you. Because I say it because I want the best for you, not because I want to scold you. Listen, let's read the last verses that are here. Verse 30, it says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Listen, number four in your outline is this. Continually seek God for assistance. Continually, continually seek God for assistance. You see, Paul's here. He's asking them, hey, pray for me. Strive in prayer to God for me. I need that. Paul understood the power of prayer. I don't know. Prayer sometimes scares me. It's like because sometimes God answers these prayers. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing that's scary. You know, I've prayed for my family and stuff and years at times. And then God answers and I'm like, man, all that praying and God did this amazing thing. Sometimes he answers that I'm scared to pray because like I'll, I'll say a prayer like, you know, Lord, help me reach this person at work today. Then I go into work and next thing you know, you find yourself face to face and there's the opportunity. And you're like, now you got to share. And I'm like, God, you did it. Now I have to do it. You know? So sometimes it's actually scary. I mean, try it. Try it. You try praying and say, listen, I want to reach this person today. Give me an opportunity. And bam, you see if it happens. But listen, the power of prayer, we need it. Because listen, you can't accomplish your mission. You can't discover your mission without it, by number one. Because it's not your plans, it's God's plan. So you need to be talking with Him. But number two, you can't accomplish your mission without consulting God, without His assistance, without praying. Listen, because the missions that God is going to call you and me to are so much greater than you and I. We're not able to deal with it. You know, it's a continual walk of faith seeking God because we don't have all the answers. We don't. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more of my story. I don't know how much you know of it. But when I was a little kid, when I was very little, I used to think about, I don't know why I thought about this, but I thought, you know what? I, I could be a minister. I, I think it would be kind of cool. I think I'd like that. You help people. I think I could do that. That's what I thought when I was a little kid. And I don't know if that was what God was doing there or not. But, you know, I grow up and all these years I just stop thinking about it and I don't do any of that. Somewhere in my mid-twenties I kind of wake up to life again and I start really seeking God. Praying and reading my Bible and doing all these things and, and trying to find a church and all this stuff. And at the time of my life I had a business with my brothers and my uncle. And this business we dissolved. So now I wasn't really doing much, but I was doing sales for him in the Midwest. And I'm thinking to myself at this point, I don't want to do sales all my life. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, I could do anything right now. I could go back to school. I could like, try to build my kingdom. But I thought, you know what, God? I want to see if there's something that you want me to do. That's what I was thinking. And, I, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, though, right? Isn't that where you guys have been? Where you think, what, God, what do you want me to do? I, I don't know. I'm like, Lord, where should I go from here? What should I do? And a friend of mine handed me a book that was called Sometimes God Has a Kid's Face. And this book was about how Covenant House, it was a shelter for runaway teens, began in New York City. And so I read this book and I read, got to the end of it. I'm on the plane and then like, at the end it tells you how you can help out, you can be a part of it. And one of the things was you can commit to living for a year for them, volunteering a year, and they, they provide room and board and you work with the kids. And I was like, you know what, God, I don't know what to do. I really don't. But here's what I'm going to do. This is what I thought. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to take a step toward you. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to do this. So I signed up for it, and there was a commitment to communal simple living, to working with the kids, and to a prayer life. And I thought, you know what? That's got to be stepping someplace closer to God. So I signed up. They, they took me from New York, and they put me here in Florida. There's one in there's a government house on the beach in Fort Lauderdale, and that's where I was. And that's how the Boston boy came to Florida. And there I was. And for a year, number one, I was in a different denomination type of church that I said, I really felt the Lord leading me out of that church. And I'm like, but I don't know what church to go to. I had no clue. And when I came down here, this woman was taking kids in a 15-seat 
passenger van. She would check it out, take the kids to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. She goes, come along. And so I sat down. I went to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. I sat down in there and I said, this is what church is all about. All of a sudden, it like just hit me. And then I started, not to taking the kids so much, but what church, the, the type of church, and I started taking the kids regularly. And so I took another step. And then what happened was uh, they had some adult education classes. So I said, you know what? I'll just try taking that step too. And here's what happened. This is the way I phrase it. I took one step toward God because I said, you know what? I'm going to just try this because I feel like I've got to do something. And God took ten steps toward me. After that, after the adult education classes, I go, you know what? They have Bible college classes. You know what? I'm going to take those Bible college classes. I started taking some of those. And soon my year was over. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go up, get my car, get my stuff, and come back. I had a 68 Mercury Cougar, beat up, trashed, right? I had nothing, hardly any money. And I drove down to South Florida. And I said, I'm going to the Bible college. And when I made that decision to go to the Bible college, I had to get a, a, a day job so I could go to classes at night. And I had been waitering at nights, making decent money. And I, so I took this job as like this mechanic type thing. And they said, you need a pair of steel-toed boots. And at the time, I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I'm like, God, I, you know... Could you help me out a little here? And it was right around Christmas. I still remember the day I started work. It was January 8th. Before that day, a package came in the mail from my brother. It was a Christmas present. I opened it up, and it was a pair of steel-toed boots. And I'm not lying. And so I'm like, whew, this is interesting. I call my brother. Michael, what possessed you, you know, to get me steel-toed boots? You know, an iPod, something like that? You know, he's like, and he goes, John, you told me to give you steel-toed boots. And I'm thinking to myself, I never told him to give me these boots. Now, I'm not saying that God is working in signs and wonders, okay? I don't know if He was or not, okay? I believe God directs us. I believe that God shows us things. and Because the thing is, God didn't take me from this person in my mid-twenties and say, John, this is the path for your life. One day you're going to be standing on a stage preaching to a couple hundred people. He didn't say that to me. I didn't know what the result was when I took that step. I didn't know where I was going next because God doesn't give us every step of the way. You see, many people ask me these things. They, they say, what am I supposed to do next? Because we don't have all the answers. And this is what I say to them. Start moving. Take a step. Start moving. Listen, do you have a passion and a desire? Do you have gifts? This is what I say. Start moving in that direction. Just start doing it. Listen to what it says in Isaiah. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, in the King James it says where you take a step to the right or left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Notice he says, like, just take a step. God's like looking on us and we're sitting here doing nothing sometimes. Lord, I'm waiting for you to tell me every single thing I need. I need the whole plan and then I'm going to make the decision. And a lot of us do that. I don't mean to make funny, but we all do that, right? We want to know everything before we even move. And God is saying here, listen, take a step. And he's going to tell you whether it's the right way or the wrong way. Go ahead and do it. Try it. God's not going to let you go off in some path that you're not supposed to be on. But he wants you to take action. He wants you to do it. You see, sometimes we wait in life till we get everything figured out. And rarely in life does that ever happen, right? In any realm of our lives. God is not asking us to stay still. So often the discovery is in the journey itself. As we take the journey, things are revealed. And that's what I want to encourage you right now is to take a step. You guys have your connection card, right? It was on your lap. Pull it out for a moment. Because some of you are saying, I don't know what I should do next. Well, maybe your next step is sharing Jesus with other class. You see that? Because you say, listen, I'm kind of new at this. I really don't know how. Well, we're offering a class in four weeks. Go ahead, take a step and see what happens. Some of you say, you know what? I, sometimes I feel like I'm, maybe I'm called to missions. I'm not sure. Send, there's the, send me the information on the mission trip to Haiti. Check that off and we'll send that to you. Listen, maybe it's being part of a growth group. I don't know. Maybe it's volunteering. We don't know exactly what we're supposed to do. What are my gifts? How am I supposed to know? Take a step and find out. If it's not the right place for you, we'll find a different place for you. Listen, it says only two things here. Set up and tear down. So just circle. Serve at Calvary if that's what you want to do to take that step. And that's what I encourage you to do. Listen, if you want to discover what God has for you, it's not going to be found in staying still. It's only going to be found when you start moving. Sometimes we also hesitate because we think the vision that God has is too, much, is too great for us. It's too much. Bi- it's too big. We're not able to accomplish it. And we think, I don't have what it takes. Maybe we don't have the finances, or we don't have the ability, or we don't have the understanding. But can I tell you something? That is exactly what God is looking for. 
Listen to what he tells us in 1 Corinthians. It says this, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You see this verse? It's talking about you. We're the not many wise. We're the not many noble. We're the not many mighty. And why does God do that? Because God's mission ultimately is not about you, even though it's yours. It's about God. You see, and if you're able to accomplish it all, then there's no reason, there's no room for God to be even seen in what you're doing. See, God uses our flawed, messed up people because He wants them, to, His glory to shine through them. It's because we're cracked that, God see, that people see that it's God. You see, when they go, this guy's not smart enough, this person's not strong enough, this person wasn't able to do that, they know that it's God that's doing it. And God's going to work through you and speak through you. You see, we should expect that. We shouldn't be hesitant because the vision or the mission that God has called us to is greater than us. We should actually expect it. We shouldn't seek to have all the answers. We shouldn't seek to have it all under control. Because it's not what you're capable of doing that's going to point people to God. It's what He's capable of doing. Listen, your gifts and your talents and your passions are going to give you opportunity. It's the power of God, though, that's going to do all the work. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to say thank you for how much you cared about flawed, cracked, and broken people. Lord, because that's what we are. Lord, I know there are a lot of people today that were wondering what you do have for us or what our next mission is. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would be diligent to make a list of the things that we are gifted in, the things that you've already given us. And Lord, the passions that you've placed in our hearts. Lord, that we might put those together and that through those things and through speaking to you in prayer that you would speak into our hearts and lead us to the mission that you have for each one of us. Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, may you bless them this week and may they be a missionary in this world, in their families, in their homes, in their jobs, and in their communities. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.